If you have your Bibles, uh, it's Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you were trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise man of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you. God of my ancestors, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell what the king who can tell the king what his dreams mean. 
what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its iron and clay on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. That was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. <clears throat> Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next will be a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and were partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united, any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be, Sorry. That will never be destroyed. Sorry. Technology. Okay. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other, another people. <clears throat> it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, it, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will, what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar felt prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered an offering and incense to be presented to him. 
the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts upon him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is God's precious word. Right. I hope you can all hear me. It's very good to be with you. Uh, it's a, always a privilege to be bringing God's Word. Thank you, Patty, for uh, quite a long reading. Daniel is quite a big book, even though it's only uh, 12 chapters. But let's pray as we get into this chapter. Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. You speak by your Word, uh, through your Spirit. Father, please speak to us now. Would my words become your words? And would you speak to all our hearts uh, that we would have a, a greater vision of you and be able to live for you in this world? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I often love Sundays. I guess most of us, Sunday is probably one of the best days of the week, isn't it? Um, maybe for some of you, maybe you're going through a tough time now, but I guess for most of us, Sunday is great because you get to praise God, and we, uh, we hear his words, and we meet with his people. It's so encouraging. I see some strange faces. Is the sound okay? Yeah? Okay. But, yeah, you feel on top of the world, isn't it? You feel great. Uh, I can take on the world for Jesus. Now, how long does that feeling last, though? Because tomorrow, most of us will be back at work, and you're there, and you're the only Christian. I forgot something. Bingo. And here's the difference. Groups of people, but suddenly you're around a lot of people who don't believe. Uh, they live for their work. Uh, your boss has all these demands on you. God seems so absent, doesn't he? Here he's so present, there he seems so absent. And uh, I don't know, you watch the news, God seems absent, uh, China seems in control, or the US, or terrorists. It's not easy. Maybe you're here, you're visiting, you're not a Christian, and, and that's often what you think. Well, is there a God? I can't see him. It looks like there are so many other powers in control. That's because we live in exile. It's what uh, he who started with yesterday. As Christians, we live in what's called exile. Exile is that you're away from God. Ever since the Garden of Eden, in a way, we are away from God, isn't it? There we used to live with him. But now we live in a, in a strange country. It's not our home. Just like it was the case for Daniel. Daniel used to live in Jerusalem... 
And that was great. And you're in, in God's promised land, God's city. Uh, there's God's temple with God's priests offering God's sacrifices, reading God's law. Everything is about God. And now he's in Babylon. In Babylon, everything is about, well, Babylon, isn't it? There's a Babylonian religion. You're ruled by a Babylonian king and a Babylonian army. Everyone there believes in Bel and Nebo. And God seems defeated and absent. And the question is, how do you live there? How do you live in such a place? It's, uh, it's so easy to live for God in Jerusalem. Just like it's so easy to feel like you can live for God here. But what's it like during the week? Uh, Hebrew told us last week, we, of course, we need to make our home here. Uh, this is uh, where we live. We need to get involved. But I think most of us find that easy. It's being different, being distinct, being faithful to God in a world that's opposed to him. I think for most of us, that will be the difficult bit, isn't it? Having integrity at work, not compromising, uh, having God's priorities, having his kingdom as your priority. It's not easy. How can we do that? Every day we have this God versus Babylon. They make demands, but Babylon is so much more impressive and intimidating and powerful, it seems. Well, that's why we have this book of Daniel. It's going to give us a great view of God. It's going to tell us that God is so much bigger and greater than anything else. And that is what we need when we're surrounded by powerful institutions, companies, that, you know, God is far more powerful, far greater. Now, it's not just a a huge God. As I said, it's a huge book, huge chapter. It means I can't really go into everything that there is in this chapter. Sorry about that. Um, If you haven't seen it, there's an outline on the back of the bulletin. There's a question slip. So if you have a question, if there's something you want to know, you know, fill it in and ask me. That'd be great. Also, because it's so big... um, We're not always going to read everything. So next week we're doing chapters 3 and 6 together. We're not going to read both. So why don't you during the week read those two chapters so that you're kind of ready to hear what God has to say. All right. Now what happens in this chapter? I guess as Patty read, there were a few words that kept coming back. Revealing a mystery. Uh, God reveals a mystery. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has a dream. No one knows what it means. And God reveals it. But, of course, that's not... What does that mean? Well, this revealing of a mystery, it shows us the answer to three, I think, important questions that we have as we live in the world, as we live in Babylon. The first question, as you can see, who knows? Who knows? Who who is in the know? And as we see in the beginning, it's not Babylon. So here is Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful king, 
and he's got a dream that uh, keeps him awake. Uh, he can't sleep. And so he, uh, he gets his advisors, uh, all these powerful people, the enchanters and the astrologers, and the, uh, what is it? Yeah, the, the sorcerers, the magicians, and he asked them, uh, can you tell me my dream and what it means? And so they say, okay, no problem. Just tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. But then he does something unusual. He says, uh, no, no, tell me what I've dreamt. Hmm? End of verse 5, uh, verse 6, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. No, no, just tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. Uh, verse 8, the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time. Uh, you, you're just delaying things. I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And then I know that you can interpret it. Now, what I think is so great is that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't trust his own wise men, right? He thinks they're just a bunch of con men. I mean, if you tell me your dream, I can make up a story. But telling what this guy has dreamt, yeah, <laughs> that's more difficult. <laughs> I mean, here are these powerful men. They don't even know what the guy in front of him dreamt last night. They know nothing. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar himself, he doesn't have a clue. Uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, what, what, what did they say? Verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. Uh, no one can do this. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he responds in style, uh, a bit like an angry toddler. Uh, verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. I mean, he's really scared by this dream, isn't he? Well, what happens then? Uh, yeah, Daniel hears of it. I think you've heard the story. Daniel finds out that uh, there's a death warrant for all the wise men. He goes to the king, buys some time, goes to his friends. Uh, they pray, God, please show us. And verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Yeah, God knows it. No one else, only God. Uh, he praises God, and then, yeah, he goes to the king. Look, I'm nothing special. There's a God who, who reveals mysteries, and he explains it to the king, and all is well. But what is that dream? What did uh, God show him? Well, it's about revealing the future, isn't it? That's what Daniel said back in uh, verse 29. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. It's about what's going to happen. Uh, uh, there's a picture there, um, a statue, a head of gold, a body of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron. Uh, it stands for four kingdoms. And then this, this stone from heaven that kind of smashes the statue. Uh, that's God's kingdom coming into the world. We'll come back to that later, but it's the future, isn't it? God reveals the future. And these guys, they don't know the future. I guess it's the same today, isn't it? Do the companies we work for, do they, do they know the future? I don't think so. I mean, look at the stock exchange. Uh, the, e, the, the UK leaves the EU. Oh, sell, sell, sell. 
uh, some company news. Oh, buy, buy, buy. They don't know the future. Otherwise, they would just know what to buy and it would be calm. But uh, they're just running around. They don't know the future. However, why is that relevant? So what if God knows the future and no one else? Well, it brings us to a second question this answers. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Because the thing is, how does God know the future? Have you ever thought about that? How does God know the future? Of course, God is, is timeless. Eh? He sees everything at once. But that does he kind of, the future is there and he can see it. No, actually what this passage says is that God knows the future because he's in charge. Because he's in charge. Because when we go to Daniel's prayer, that's what he praises God for. And he says things, yeah, in verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. Light dwells with him. And uh, you've, given, you've made known to me what we asked of you. But he also praises God for verse 21. Look at it. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. And when he talks about different kingdoms, Daniel sees God is doing it. God is deposing kings, raising up others. He doesn't just see it happen. No, he does it. Because the future is not just something out there. The future is, well, God's plan. He's in charge. That's why he knows it. Now, maybe that doesn't make sense. Let me give you a silly illustration. Does anyone here know what I will have for breakfast tomorrow? Does anyone know what I will have for breakfast tomorrow? No one? Come on, it's not too difficult. <laughs> no, no. You don't have to guess. <laughs> hmm? I know, yeah. Now the question is, why do I know? Is it because I've had a kind of vision of the future? Is it because I'm a prophet? No. The reason is, it's my decision, right? I'm in charge. I decide what I have for breakfast, and so I know what I will have to, for breakfast tomorrow. It's my decision. I'm in charge, therefore I know what will happen because I'm in charge. I decide. But that's just, with God it's not just breakfast, isn't it? With God it's, it's everything. It's the whole future. What government rules? Uh, what happens to the economy? And when the kingdom is going to come? That's all his plan. And that's why he can tell it, right? He knows the future because he's in charge. Uh, it's not that God kind of four kingdoms and then God's kingdom, that he's at McDonald's with a ticket, standing in the queue, looking at the screen, waiting for his turn. No, he decides. He's in charge. And as Babylon doesn't know, Babylon is not in charge, right? Nebuchadnezzar is clearly not in charge. Uh, he gets deposed uh, when God wants to. Uh, the companies around us, they are not in charge. They have no say in the future. That's why they're so worried about it. 
it's, uh, that's why they're running around like headless chickens. Now, the only reason they are so powerful now is because God allows it. That's what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, come with me to verse 37, when Daniel explains the dream. Why is Nebuchadnezzar so powerful? Well, verse 37. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. Eh? Nebuchadnezzar only rules because God has made it so, because God has decided it, right? That's why Babylon will go one day. I guess that's encouraging, right? Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed your country. Well, God was in control, thankfully. It's only because God allowed it. I guess, what should this do? First of all, I guess, if you you see this, well, Babylon isn't. You're certainly not impressed or intimidated anymore, isn't it? Yes, your boss seems to have a lot of power. Uh, The company you work for, all these demands they make. Actually, they're not in charge. They don't rule the future. They don't rule anything in the end. Of course, you're going to be a good employee, but they're not in charge. Why would you be intimidated? Why would you be impressed by all their, their glory and their riches? When actually it's God's in charge. And everything they have just comes from him. Because he's decided it. Of course, um, I realize when I say this that uh, this raises some issues, some questions you probably have. I mean... Nebuchadnezzar was a tyrant, if you've read Daniel. The fact that he came and destroyed Judah, killed a lot of people, took the rest hostage. How could God allow that? I I think that's a a question you may have. Do ask me about it later. I mean, some people, they see that and they think, well, surely God is not in charge. Otherwise, he wouldn't have allowed it. But I think that takes away some of the encouragement, doesn't it? Because then, if God didn't want it, but Nebuchadnezzar still came and destroyed his city. That's not great, isn't it? If God couldn't stop him. And it gives you no hope for the future. All right? Because, as we'll see in the next point, this is about the future kingdom of God. 2 verse 44 is... Such an encouragement, eh? in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It's great news, but if God is not in charge, well, uh, the God of heaven will try to set up a kingdom that, fingers crossed, will never be destroyed, and he'll do his best that it won't be left to another people. That doesn't give any hope. But come back to me. But so what? God is in charge. But life still isn't great. The third question, though, that this will help with, if God is in charge, if God rules, well, which kingdom? Which kingdom? 
That's the final God versus Babylon thing, right? You're living here, and you know God is in charge. Well, which kingdom will you live for? Which kingdom will dominate your life? Which kingdom should you be part of? Because the, the dream itself then has this very, very clear message. Yeah, a couple of earthly kingdoms. Right now, the head of gold, Babylon. He rules. But verse 39, after you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. Yeah, a couple of kingdoms. But then, well, this stone, eh, this stone that knocks down the statue. Uh, verse 34. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. It's not a nice future, isn't it? All these kingdoms just smashed in pieces and blown away. Nothing left of them, not a trace. Instead, this stone became a huge mountain, filled the whole earth, and it will last forever. That's God's kingdom. God's kingdom, when it would come, yeah, it would be victorious over everything. Break everything in pieces, cover the whole earth, and that will last forever. What an encouragement, right? And for Daniel, you're, you've been abducted, you're here in Babylon, Jerusalem destroyed. What hope is there? Well, God isn't finished yet. Yeah, God has his plans. That's why he now allows Nebuchadnezzar to rule and then a few more kingdoms. But it's only because he decided it. And one day, all earthly kingdoms will be destroyed, broken in pieces, swept away, and God will rule. A place where everything is his way, because it's his kingdom. No more evil, no more suffering. We'll get to that in chapter 7. But yeah, that is hope, right? We're not here forever. There will be an everlasting kingdom, something that's solid, something that will last. And God is in charge of that. It will happen. What are you going to do then? Well, you're going to stay faithful, right? You're not going to change to join Babylon. For us, we're not going to change and, you know, I'm going to focus my whole life on my work because that's the most important thing. It won't last. And did God do this? Yeah, he did. Yeah, because after Babylon, yeah, he, uh, the Persians came, the Greeks, number three, the Romans. And we all know that when the Romans ruled in Palestine, uh, there was a carpenter who walked around saying the kingdom of God is about to happen. And he died on a cross and he rose again, establishing the kingdom. It's fulfilled in Christ exactly as promised. Of course, it, it, we're still in the middle. Eh? The kingdoms seem very real. They're still crumbling. The stone is still growing into a mountain. But it's happening. And so, yeah, how do you see yourself? I mean, what controls your life? 
Uh, is it here yeah, your work? I guess so many people work hard here in Hong Kong. Is that going to dominate your life? Is that what you fear? Is that where you think there is hope and opportunity? Those big companies, they look very powerful. It looks like they control everything. They don't. And they won't last, right? They're going to be broken, swept away without a trace one day. They're irrelevant. So that's not who you are, right? That's not what you're going to live for. You're going to live for God. You're going to stay a Christian. That's what is something that will last. That's what you're going to focus your life on. And when there's a clash, as we'll see next week, well, you're going to go with God, right? Why would you choose the world? Why choose Babylon if it's going to be crushed and swept away? Also, the government, I don't know, you meet so many people here worried about what will happen in the future. Every government will be swept away. Don't worry. God's kingdom will last. Yeah, maybe Hong Kong won't last. But the kingdom of God will last. If you're part of that, great. Of course, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that is a bit of a warning, isn't it? You may feel safe now, good job. Nice house. But actually, if everything in the world will be swept away, you need to be part of God's kingdom. Otherwise, yeah, it won't last forever. How do you do that? You come to the king. The kingdom has a king. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross so you could be forgiven. Come and talk to me if you want to know more. But for the rest of us, yeah, no need to fear. God is in charge. His kingdom will come. Nothing else will last. You're fine. You can be a Christian. Even though you can't see God, even though it looks like all these other things are in control, God is in charge. And he will come, set up his kingdom, everything else destroyed. You know, that gives you strength, right? That empowers you to live for him. And that is what God wants. Stay faithful. Trust what he says here and... And live for him. Even though that there will be a cost. In fact, more than live for him, isn't it? Because this is a growing kingdom. It's a kingdom that, uh, yeah, a a rock that became a huge mountain. If you really believe God's kingdom is the thing that will last, I guess you'll be reaching out to your friends and colleagues. You'll be discipling. You'll be trying to bring the gospel to other countries because, well, it will cover the whole earth. But that is what this chapter is about, isn't it? The kingdom of God. That will happen. God is in charge. So let's focus on that as we live here in exile. Why don't we be quiet for a moment and then I'll pray and then we'll sing. Father, thank you that you are in charge. Thank you that you rule over all the kingdoms of the world. Thank you that it is your plan, your decision, whatever happens. Father, we trust that you will fulfill your promises, that you will one day fully uh, consummate the kingdom of Jesus that you started 2,000 years ago. Help us to live for that whenever we are confronted with the world whenever there's pressure to fit in, 
whenever there's the temptation that they offer more than you. Lord, help us to re remember that you are in charge and that your kingdom will come, that that's the only thing that will ever last. And would we live for you? In Jesus' name, amen.